This Israel report is brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Owning properties in Israel can be a great investment, but challenging to manage if you're based abroad. The Blue Agency will manage every aspect of your property, finding and vetting tenants, maintaining your property and getting it rental ready, negotiating contracts and collecting rentals, reporting back to you regularly. The Blue Agency has built a reputation for trust and confidentiality over 20 years. The Blue Agency, your Israel property is in good hands. Contact us at www.thebueagency.com. The Israel Report for the latest news and insights with Anthony Reich. Anthony Reich, a very good morning. How are you? Tov. I'd like to start, if I may, with a dedication to the memory of my late Uncle Mervyn, who Uncle Mervyn Mittel, who unfortunately passed away over the weekend. He was a very enthusiastic and active listener of ours. Oh, wow. And um, so I just uh, wanted to dedicate this to his memory, maybe for a blessing shared. Zichro Baruch. Amen, oh, amen. Oh, yes, we did uh, announce his passing on the West Park report. I think it was yesterday, maybe the funeral Sunday, if I remember correctly. Uh, but uh, indeed, uh, we sure wish the family um, a long life. So, thank you so much. And another sad story, while we're already on to sad hmm. stories, unfortunately a, a, an IDF soldier collapsed yesterday and actually died during a training session. This was uh, Corporal Hillel Offen. He was a private and has been posthumously uh, promoted to be a corporal. Um, and the story goes that he collapsed during a, a very, very hot day. We've been having some very, very hot weather. And um, the speculation is that he might have got heat stroke while doing um, this training exercise um, with his fellow uh, soldiers in, in the IDF. An interesting little side story to this one is that his uncle is the head of Moria Yeshiva in Givat Hakoret, and he has asked IDF not to perform an autopsy on the body of his nephew, which I think is probably standard practice I'm sure. when young yeah. soldiers like this die unexpectedly, especially during um, a training exercise. And what he said is that his nephew was what was important to his nephew was military cohesion. And he is afraid that by performing the autopsy, there might be an element of blame allocated for the death of that young soldier, which may go against the concept of, of military unity. cohesion. That's so interesting. So, but, but, Anthony, it is a, from what I understand, it really can be a severe uh, issue for the commanding officers if a, uh, if a trainee or if a soldier dies of dehydration during training. Or is absolutely. It, you know, Mm. Absolutely. I think we need to understand that the commanding officers in the IDF, whether they be um, male or female, are expected to be like fathers and mothers mm. to their soldiers. Mm. There is a very, very special bond, a very unique relationship that is built up. And, you know, when we have a lot of time, we can talk about some of the things that go on between uh, commanding officers and their soldiers, how they get brought home by the commanding officer for Shabbat when a soldier might not have 
anywhere to go over the weekend. The unit disperses to their various corners um, of Israel to go home for Shabbat, and a soldier might be left without anywhere to go. The commanding officer will bring him home to his family mm. and make mm. sure that he has somewhere to go and food to eat and, and, and a Shabbat and, and a clean bed and, and laundry done. There is a very, very special bond, and with it comes an element of responsibility and I've seen that with very very young soldiers in their very early 20s who have responsibility for others under their command there's an amazing responsibility and an amazing bond that is built up incredible absolutely incredible Hezbollah leader Nas, uh, Hassan Nasrallah has issued another warning to Israel you know what I find so fascinating about this before you even give us the details is there's little doubt that Israel's enemies, in terms of uh, of uh, of uh, the of uh, Hezbollah, in terms of Iran, in terms of everybody, would be so smart just to keep quiet right now. Israel is not mm. a happy place. There's a lot going on, and the one thing that will unite them, as we've spoken about, is an attack or a threat from the outside. But it's almost as though they actually can't help themselves so so deep and um, uh, irrational is their hatred for, for, for Israel and for Jews. And I think that in the case of uh, uh, Hassan Nasrallah at the moment, um, he is also trying to Stick a sticking plaster over some of the issues that are going on in Lebanon. Ah. Let's make, let's be honest about this. This was a lot more about trying to conceal what's going on in Lebanon right now than it was about attacking Israel. But of course, an attack against Israel is always used as a type of unifying element to try and bring the various warring factions together to unite behind this common hatred for Israel. And so it was that yesterday Hassan Nasrallah came out talking, first of all, about what he calls the idea of being in its worst condition it's ever been in. And then he went on, ironically, to talk about the fact that the Haredi community in Israel are trying to promote uh, a draft law which would exempt them from uh, going to the army. And Hassan Nasrallah has described this as being a major blow to the IDF if this draft law would be implemented in Israel. And what he said was, in light of the political divisions that exist, the Israeli army is in the worst condition compared to any time in the past. And the major blow to the army will be if the Knesset approves the new conscription law. That was what his Mm, whole mm. speech was really predicated on. Uh, He then, of course, referred to uh, Defense Minister Yoav Gallant, uh, talking last week about the fact that Lebanon would tr- return to the Stone Age if there was a war between Israel and Hezbollah. And, of course, he jumped on this opportunity to say that the, he's saying to the en- enemy leaders, you too will go back to the Stone Age if you go to war hmm. with Lebanon. So that was his threat. And then, of course, the real stuff started to creep in, which was talking about What's been going on in Lebanon? And what did he say about this incident, which I spoke about yesterday, where the truck overturned and people became quite militant and agitated about this incident? He blamed this on a TV channel. That The moment the TV channel showed what the contents of the truck were, that's when the trouble began. Mm. And so this is all the fault of that TV channel for broadcasting the information about the contents of that truck 
that overturned near to Beirut um, over the weekend. So it's really, really fascinating how he's been allocating blame. First of all, criticizing Israel in an attempt to try and unify the forces. He's spoken about the resistance on the border and how um, Hezbollah has kept this tent in the Sheba farms or the Hardov area, depending on which side of the border you come from, but it's all the same place. Um, and how Lebanon um, is very determined to make a claim to its border, then Israel will have nothing to say about that. And, of course, then blaming this TV channel. Very, very fascinating indeed. But we do understand that, uh, and he actually mentioned this in his speech to Nasrallah, we do understand that there is an oil rig which, which is now on its way to what's called Block 9, Block 9 mm, of the, mm. off the coast of Lebanon, that's due to begin exploring the gas and oil. And that may well be a game changer for Lebanon. And Israel is not opposed to this idea of them drilling for oil and gas and succeeding in doing so because that will help the economy so long as hopefully the money will not be directed towards um, military activities against Israel and so long as it helps the economy to build up a strong um, economy on the north side of the Israeli border. I think that could potentially be quite good news for Israel. Of course, time will tell us how that all goes. Absolutely. The Prime Minister has intervened following a number of reports of discrimination on Israel's public transport. So uh, what have these acts of discrimination been? Yeah, so we do need to have a bit of a discussion about this, and I have little doubt, Howard, that the listeners are going to join in on this one. Mm -hmm. Um, A number of reports have surfaced about incidents on Israel's public transport. And I'd like to give you a few examples of some of the reports. There have even been videos published on social media showing some of these events. So the first incident took place last week, which showed um, a group of female soldiers traveling on a train with a Haredi family, adults and children, chanting against them, asking how come it's allowed that dogs have been allowed onto the train referring to the female soldiers and then screaming and singing out that they would sooner go to jail than to serve in the IDF and making all kinds of claims and accusations against these female soldiers who were in uniform. That was incident number one. Incident number two was a group of young girls who were traveling from Ashdod to Tzvat to go to um, the Kinneret and who, when on the bus, were told that they needed to sit at the back of the bus and they needed to cover themselves with blankets in order to be more modest because of the fact that there were um, ultra-Orthodox people on the bus who would be offended by their the way that they presented themselves because they were obviously dressed for beach rather than um, in, a, in a modest fashion. And so they were placed at the back of the bus and covered over with blankets in order to conceal this. Incident number three was a woman who wanted to get onto a bus, which apparently was on a bus route that's generally used for ultra-Orthodox males to commute to and from a, a separated beach, which is where the males go to do their swimming. And this woman was told that she shouldn't get on the bus because it's really um, uh, an ultra-orthodox, ultra-orthodox male route and that women are not really advised to get onto the bus. This was, these were the words of the bus driver. Um, whether he meant don't get on the bus at all or whether he was genuinely advising her for her own mm-hmm. purposes um, remains unclear. 
And then the final incident was a report that a woman approached a bus driver who then snapped at her by saying he doesn't speak to female passengers because it's not modest for him to, to do so. Now, if he's going to be a bus driver, one would imagine that one of the requirements of the job are, besides driving the bus and knowing your way around, is that you need to interact with all passengers who happen to travel that bus route. If they ask you a question, if they approach you, if you need to do, they need to do something with you. That should really be part of the rules of the game. So the Prime Minister has now intervened, saying that Israel is a free country in which nobody will set limits on who can use public transportation and how they can use the public transportation. And what he said is neither critical of the women who have been discriminated against in this particular, in these examples, nor those who have discriminated against them, because he's saying, because what, 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 I think what the real question that we ask is really not about these individual incidents, but we're back to where we were last week talking about what sort of Jewish country we wish to have. Mm -hmm. And is it okay for us to have bus routes which are segregated because that is the requirement of a certain element of the population? For example, in Jerusalem, there were certain bus routes where the women were required to get on at the back door and the men were required to get on at the front door and it was all separated within the bus and nobody was allowed to move between the two. And if somebody inadvertently got onto the bus route in the wrong door, there was a whole drama that was attached. It, it reminds me a little bit of people who get on a plane and don't want to sit against a, next to a woman or don't want to mm -hmm. sit next to a Manchester United supporter or whatever it might be on the plane. To what extent is it okay for us to say those separations are acceptable because certain people within the population require them and that's what they believe in? Or do we say that's not acceptable and that everybody is entitled to use the public transport system because it is exactly that. It is public and it is available to all the people, whether it happens to be a woman who's traveling on a route that's generally used by ultra-Orthodox males to get to their private beach or not. They should be allowed to travel the route the same as everybody else. I'm going to open that up to you and to the listeners because this is a real debate that we're having in Israel right now. And it's causing a huge split down the middle between people who feel that they should be entitled to live their orthodox life in a way that supports them. And so if they want to separate themselves on the buses, they should be entitled to do so. And there are people who are saying, no, that's not acceptable. What do mm. you guys mm. think? Three four five one nine or 0618951019. It's, uh, it, it, the reality is, for me, the answer is actually very, very simple. If it's a place of religious worship, for example, the Kotel or a yeshiva or a shul, then I think that people coming into that environment needs to be respectful of the law, of these, of the of the religious law, of the system, dress appropriately, so as not to uh, so as not to offend. Same as we would do the same if we went in to a mosque, for example, is we would respect the belief system of of uh, people whose place we are going to. But when it's a public area of, uh, for example, a bus, then uh, then I think it's a it, it's it's a it's absolutely everybody's choice to to be how they want, and it's certainly not for one person to 
to uh, impose their belief system on, on another. A woman in a, um, a dress to supposedly immodestly could say the same thing and say she's offended by somebody wearing all of this garb in the middle of summer because it makes her feel uncomfortable and hot. So, you know, there's no limit to the arguments that we could bring. To me, it's all about where, the, where it's taking place. So if you want to start a completely private, not public, private transport system that only caters towards that way of, of, of living and existing. Well, that's up to you. But the minute it's public, I think it's a, uh, it's, it's definitely an unacceptable way and certainly ever being rude or offensive to somebody, uh, all in the name of religion and God. Well, I think you might have lost your way just a little bit. I mean, that's my view. I'd love your thoughts. Three, four, five. Five one nine or oh six one eight nine five one oh one nine. Anthony Reich, thank you as always. We're gonna catch you tomorrow morning at seven forty five. That Israel report was brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Owning properties in Israel can be a great investment, but challenging to manage if you're based abroad. The Blue Agency will manage every aspect of your property, finding and vetting tenants, maintaining your property and getting it rental ready, negotiating contracts and collecting rentals, reporting back to you regularly. The Blue Agency has built a reputation for trust and confidentiality over 20 years. The Blue Agency, your Israel property is in good hands. Contact us at www.thebueagency.com. Dot com.